Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Today we gather to remember and celebrate the most significant series of events in the lives of all of those who call themselves Christians. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fulfilled the task that He was sent by His Father to planet Earth to accomplish, laying down His life as the ultimate sacrifice, taking the the punishment, the judgment, the wrath of God that sinners deserve, such as you and me. In the crucifixion, God bore the wrath of God. To reject this event is to reject Christianity. To ignore the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and His resurrection from the dead is to ignore God's gospel story. Fail to Believe that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the Christ, our Savior and our Lord. And to recognize the significance of His life and His death and His resurrection from the dead is to remain dead in sin and on a road to experiencing the judgment of God. Jesus was born to die. This was God's plan from the beginning. He knew. God knew that the first human beings to be created would rebel against Him and choose to disobey His command. And for that matter, every other man, woman, boy, or girl to live after them. And as a result, there was a vast gulf between the Creator and the created ones. But God in His love, in His mercy, in His goodness, predetermined a plan to mend that broken relationship through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sending His Son to earth to accomplish something that we could never do for ourselves. Someone had to receive the judgment of God, the judgment of the just, eternal, righteous, and holy God. And that someone had to be sinless. The only one to ever live a sinless life on earth is Jesus, the Son of God. God in the flesh. In the beginning of John's Gospel, he makes clear to us, That Jesus, the Son of God, the Word of God made flesh, was with God in the beginning, was God, and made all things as God. And this same one came to earth, came into the world as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That was the mission, the purpose of Jesus. And in His death and Ultimately, through His resurrection, He accomplished that purpose, that mission. Yet even His closest followers, 
Even his disciples, the ones who loved him and followed him and recognized him as Lord, as the Messiah, failed to understand the significance of all this. They were heartbroken over the death of their Lord at the hands of the Romans. Wondering what in the world this meant for him and for them. This morning we'll be looking at God's word found in John chapter 20 beginning in verse 24. And I want to invite you to turn there in your Bibles. And the Bible will be important for our time together this morning. So if you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to take one from the pew in front of you or underneath you or to look off a neighbor's copy of the Word of God as we follow along together. Also useful for our time together this morning, if you are a note taker, is the back of your bulletin with Uh, a sermon outline. But as you're turning to John chapter 20, um, I want to fill us in on a couple of the details that took place on that first Resurrection Sunday prior to the events of our text for today. Very, Very early on that first Easter Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and Mark's gospel tells us that she went there and order to anoint Jesus' body. And she's alarmed by what she finds there. She finds out that somebody has been tampering with the tomb. Distraught over this, as as a lover of of her Lord, of Christ, loving Him, committed to Him as, as her Lord, as her Savior, as the Messiah. She runs and she tells Jesus' other close friend, she tells Peter and John, and so they then race to the tomb and find the same thing, find that that Jesus' body is gone and his grave clothes are just lying there in the tomb. They enter the tomb, and John tells us in verse 8 of chapter 20 that when he entered the tomb, he saw and believed, but then he fills us in that they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to be raised from the dead. And so they go back and Mary is is weeping, not understanding these things, distraught over these things. They tell the other disciples. And later that evening, the first resurrection Sunday, the disciples are gathered together in a room under locked doors and Jesus himself shows up among them. Jesus appears to them and they begin to get it. We're told in verse 20 of John chapter 20 that the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. They were overjoyed because they had failed to understand the significance of these things. They had failed to to recognize Jesus' own words that he would be handed over and crucified and three days later be raised from the dead. They were overjoyed because they had not realized all that would take place and had taken place in and through the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pick up the story today in verse 24 of John chapter 20. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Jesus had already appeared to his disciples At first Sunday evening, but Thomas, we're told, was not with them. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and 
put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I'll believe it when I see it. Ever use that phrase? I'm sure you have. We've all use that phrase to describe something that, simply put, is just unbelievable. Maybe you used it when you first heard that Osama bin Laden had been captured and killed. Maybe you used it when your son or daughter told you that they had been accepted to that school. Maybe you used it in the last few days or weeks as your spouse informed you that For the first time in a long time, you are actually going to receive a federal income tax refund this year. Some of you are saying, a refund, what's that? Maybe you used it when the doctor informed you that it looked like there was a cancerous growth. Or maybe you used it when that same doctor said it looks like the cancer is gone. When it comes to things that are simply too good or too bad to believe, we often use that phrase, I'll, see it, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. And the same thing is true of the greatest news of all, the fact that Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, has been raised from the dead. Many want indisputable proof before believing in Jesus. Many want indisputable proof before believing in Jesus. After all, isn't that what Thomas is known for? Doubting Thomas, the one who who said, I'll believe it when I see his scars and the holes in his hands and his spear pierced aside, when I'm able to touch it for myself. And we give Thomas a hard time about this. And this this is what Thomas is remembered for, doubting Thomas. But but he's only asking for the same opportunity that the other disciples have. Jesus has already appeared to the others and They've believed based on what they've seen. And now Thomas asks for the same opportunity, but he doesn't realize that his Lord, that Jesus the Christ is aware of his very doubts and knows his very thoughts and knows what he's already said to his friends. And he's not aware that Jesus is going to appear to him in just the same way and address these very doubts. Look back at the text in verse 26. A week later, the following Sunday, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God, Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So first Easter Sunday, Jesus shows up in a locked room among his followers. Second Easter Sunday, second Resurrection Sunday, one week later, Jesus shows up again among his followers behind locked doors. This time Thomas is with them. Based on the biblical account, based on God's word, the resurrected Jesus appeared to his early followers proving his identity. Resurrected Jesus appeared to his early followers proving his identity. Proving himself to be Lord in their minds. 
an important fact to establish in the minds of his closest followers, his early followers, his first followers, the specific ones that he had called to be his disciples. The completed written word of God was not yet compiled at that time. And so it was necessary, important, that these disciples knew without a doubt who Jesus was. Now, we don't, we don't have that same opportunity per se today to see the risen Jesus, to see the wounds in his hands and in his side and to touch him. But we do have the witness, the testimony of these first disciples, of these followers. And these first disciples, these first followers of Jesus recognized that the life of Jesus was a miracle. The life of Jesus is a miracle. Look back at verses 26 and 27. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. So again, Jesus miraculously shows up among them. John is very intentional to to tell us twice now that Jesus appears somehow among his followers, though they're behind locked doors. And Jesus had already told his followers prior to his crucifixion, prior to his death, that through him they would have peace. John chapter 14, verse 27, and John chapter 16, verse 33. And now he shows up to them and says, peace be with you. More than just a greeting, signifying the spiritual peace that his followers now have with their God, with their maker, with their Lord, through the crucifixion of, of Jesus Christ just days earlier. And he shows them the scars in his hands and the scar in his side. He shows them his wound, making no, no doubt, leaving no room for doubt in their minds that this is indeed the one who died just days earlier. No one else has lived the kind of life that Jesus lived. No one else has lived a sinless life. No one else went from death to life in the same way that Jesus did. The life of Jesus is a miracle. And belief in Jesus is personal and confessional. Belief in Jesus is personal and confessional. When Thomas, who at first had doubted, encountered the risen Lord, he said, My Lord and my God. Strong statement from doubting Thomas about the identity of Christ. Among Jews, the claim that anyone other than Israel's God was God was blasphemy. Strictly monotheistic culture. This very reason the Jewish leaders nearly killed Jesus on multiple occasions. John chapter 10 where we read that Jesus' words claiming that he and the Father are one. His opponents said, we are not stoning you for any good work, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. On the contrary, Thomas doesn't 
claim that Jesus is a mere man. He claims that he is Lord and God. Clear confessional statement about the deity, the divinity of Jesus Christ. Connecting the identity of Christ. Confession about the deity of Christ to the prologue of John's gospel. When he said that in the beginning the word was with God and was God and created all things as God. Belief in Jesus is confession. It's nothing short of recognizing that Jesus is both Lord, He's Master, and He's God. He's God in the flesh. But not only is belief in Jesus confessional, it's also personal as well. Thomas said, My Lord and my God. This is more than acknowledging that Jesus is the Lord of all creation. He is the Lord of my life. He's my master. He's the one I bow to. He's the one I obey. He's the one I follow. And He is my God. He's the one that I worship. My three-year-old daughter recognizes that Jesus is important. She even recognizes or will say that the Bible is about Jesus. She might even tell you that Jesus is God. But she does not know Jesus as her Lord and her God. I pray that one day she does. But folks, there is a vast difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus as your Lord and your God. Belief in Jesus is personal and confessional, and belief in Jesus requires faith. Belief in Jesus requires faith. Look back at verse 29. Then Jesus told him, talking about Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The early followers, the disciples of Jesus who already committed to following him and trusting in him prior to his death, believed in the resurrected Jesus based on his appearance to them. It was important that they recognize that Jesus was Lord, that he was God, that he is Savior, that he is Messiah, that he was the one through, through whom salvation had come to the world. And they believed based on Jesus' appearance among them. And through that, they much better understood his mission and his purpose and how that mission and purpose involved them, how they were in, in turn to respond to that, to him. Now, I haven't seen Jesus the way that his early disciples did. And chances are you haven't either. In fact, if you told me that you had, I would probably react similar to how Mr. Thomas reacted to the disciples. I would think you've lost it. Maybe that you're hallucinating. Maybe that you've seen a ghost or something like that because Jesus has ascended back to the right hand of his Father and he's not known for simply showing up in the same way today as he did among his early disciples before he left this earth. He's not known for going around and showing people his scars and inviting them to touch his wounds. Nevertheless, we don't have any less reason to place our faith in him any less reason to believe in him. In fact, 
Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. First Peter chapter one, verses eight and nine. The reality that Jesus' early followers, that his first followers, that the ones who knew him best gave their lives ultimately as martyrs with the exception of one who was exiled to an island ought to make every single one of us question, ponder the identity of Jesus. If we reject Jesus as Lord and as God, as Savior, we at least have to come up with a good answer for that one. But we don't just have men and women and early followers of Christ who testify to the identity of Christ. We have the completed, compiled Word of God that testifies to God's grand story of redemption in and through Jesus Christ. The Word of God bears witness to life in God through the Son of God. The Word of God bears witness to life in God through the Son of God. All of it. No, the Bible was written over the span of thousands of years and in multiple, multiple cultural settings and uh, under numerous authors. It has a single author who holds it all together, who has made sure that it contains and includes exactly what he desires for it to. So that the gospel story of redemption is preserved. He is the author of life. And the Bible is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's been written and preserved for year after year, for century after century, so that readers today like you and and me may hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, placing our faith in Christ for true life for salvation, for forgiveness of sins. And this is why in another post-resurrection account, Jesus appeared to two, Cleopas and another man on the road to Emmaus. And we're told in Luke's gospel that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, in other words, all of the scripture, all of the Old Testament scripture, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them all that was said in the scriptures concerning himself. He explained to them that God's word was about him, that it pointed to him, that it was written to reveal God's grand plan of redeeming a lost and broken people, men and women, boys and girls who've recognized their sin and trusted in Christ, recognized the glorious plan of a good and perfect, and holy, and loving, and gracious, and compassionate God. But not only is the completed written word of God a witness to this story, but John himself tells us that this is why he's written as well. That his book points to this story as well. Look in John chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. In other words, this is only a sampling. This is only some of the things that Jesus did. Verse 31, but these are written 
that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Well, this is only part of what Jesus did, John is saying, but I've written these things very intentionally so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you would have life in his name. And we don't believe in Jesus today based upon seeing Jesus. We don't respond in faith to Jesus because we've visibly seen him show up among us. But we believe in him based on the message that is proclaimed in the word of God about Jesus. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And John knew this. John knew that the message would be preserved through the written word of God and through the proclamation of the gospel story of redemption in Christ. And for this reason, he maintained a written record of the proclamation of Jesus Christ. Folks, the greatest evidence of the risen Jesus is the biblical witness concerning the life of Jesus. The greatest evidence of the risen Jesus is the biblical witness concerning the life of Jesus. And as we reflect on the biblical witness concerning the life of Jesus and what is found there about the identity of Jesus, I want to invite you to direct your attention to the screens. beginning was the word and the word was with God the word was God the word was with God in the beginning through him all things were made and without him nothing was made that has been made in him was life and that life was the light of men the light shines in the darkness but the darkness did not recognize it the light shines through the darkness but the darkness didn't even notice He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Even in his own land and among his own people, he wasn't wanted. But to those who believed him, to those who believed in his name, to those who believed he was how he claimed and would do what he said, he gave the right to become children of God. And we have seen his glory, the glory that a one and only son can only receive from his father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The Word became human and lived here on earth among us. And having become human, He stayed human. He humbled Himself. He didn't accept any special privileges. He lived a selfless, obedient life to die a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that crucifixion. But it was our sins that did that to Him. He was bruised and wounded for everything that we've done wrong. He was wounded for our transgressions, pierced for our iniquities. He did all this just so we could be whole. And God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confessed that Jesus is the master of all. This 
is the resurrection, that the son came and gave his life, that he extended an invitation to know the God of all creation, that he offered us love when we knew no peace, that he offered us relationship when all we knew how to do was keep and break a bunch of rules. This is the resurrection, that in his death we have come to know life, that we can freely offer our life to him. greatest evidence of the risen Jesus is the biblical witness concerning the life of Jesus. Do you doubt Jesus or do you believe in Jesus? Do you doubt Jesus or do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe the claims Jesus made about himself? Do you believe that Testimony of his early followers. Do we believe this book to be true? If you do, it changes everything. You either believe it or you don't. And if you do, it changes your life. It's a popular Christian song that's out today entitled, We Believe in The lyrics of the chorus go this way. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit and He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection and He's coming back again. We believe. Do you believe? Is Jesus your Lord and your God? Is Jesus your Lord and your God? If so, it should be obvious in your life. Have you personally responded to the person and the work, the sacrifice of Jesus in your place on your behalf? Have you trusted in Him for salvation? Because if so, it changes everything. Everything else, your time, your talents, your resources, your family, your wishes, your desires, your career, everything else is subordinate To Him. He is Lord. He is Master of all. If He is your God, then He is the one that you desire to exalt and glorify and magnify and obey above all else. Is Jesus your Lord and your God? And have you been raised from the dead? Have you been raised from the dead because Jesus was raised from the dead? Jesus went from death to life so that you and I could go from death to life. John tells us in the word of God that these things have been written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. If true life is found through faith in Christ, then apart from faith in Christ, we are dead, spiritually dead in our sins. lost and ruled by passions and pride and selfish pursuits and sin. Yet, by the grace of God, He has sent His Son. He has come to us so that we might have life in Him. 
Romans chapter 6. Apostle Paul states it like this. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God in the same way. He writes, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Have you, like Christ, gone from death to life? Not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. Are you alive in Jesus Christ? Can you say with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Have you been raised from the dead? Because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Do you have life in Christ? Not only eternal life in the presence of God, but new life, true life here and now, today, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Please bow with me in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel story. We thank you for the all-sufficient sacrifice of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the Son of God, the Messiah, in our place, Lord, taking the punishment that we deserve, taking the judgment that we deserve before you because of our rebellion, because of our sin. Lord, we thank you that in your goodness, in your grace, in your sovereign plan, you, you came to us to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Lord, we pray that you would Move among us this morning. Lord, that your spirit would convict us and draw us and teach us and conform us and evoke awe and praise from us for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name I pray and ask these things. Amen.